الجزيرة بودكاست When you turn 18 in many countries, that means it's time for military service. Normally in Syria, when you got 18 years old, if you are not to study, you have to do the service military. And as you know that we have a revolution in Syria, we don't want to join any military things with Assad regime. Nidal Amari is a Syrian refugee living in Germany. He escaped Syria in 2015 by crossing the Mediterranean. And this year, his cousin Ahmed was trying to do the same to escape the draft. I remember I always was saying to him, never trust the sea and never trust with the people. But he really want to go, okay? And I understand his situation because he has no option. Now, Nidal's family has lost contact with Ahmed. He still isn't sure what happened exactly. But Nidal thinks just over a week ago, his cousin boarded a boat. Then on Tuesday, he heard from Ahmed's sister. She said to me, I don't have any contact with Ahmed. We lost the contact already from like six, seven hours. That's when Nidal heard the news. A boat from Libya had capsized dozens of kilometers off the coast of Greece. Survivors say 750 people were on the boat that capsized off the Greek coast on Wednesday. Only 100 of them were rescued, meaning this could be one of the worst refugee disasters in the Mediterranean. As we record, the official death toll is 81, with hundreds more missing like Ahmed. So what happened on that boat? And why, in 2023, are these tragedies still happening? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. When we spoke to Nidal, his cousin had been missing for days already. I tried to send people to the hospital where they was to ask if they know this man or this man. I showed them some pictures. They said to me, yes, he was in in the boat with us, but he's not with them in the hospital. And we don't know where, where is he. Hundreds of families are now doing the same as Nidal. There were Syrians, Palestinians, Egyptians, and Pakistanis in the boat that capsized around 75 kilometers off Greece's southwest coast last week. Reports say that women and children were kept in the ship's hold, and so far, none of them have been found alive. I'm trying to do something, but all the information I had that he is with the missing people, so... And he's young, he's just 18 years old. All his family is crying and exactly his mother, it's break my heart because she always saying to me, please, I'm asking you in the name of God to try to do something. Uh, I, 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 feel, I, I feel that I'm down, I cannot do anything. I really wish to bring your son now between your arms, but I don't know where to do son. I really, I, I need to know what to do. The people who survived were initially treated in Kalamara, in southern Greece. John Seropoulos was there reporting for Al Jazeera. So, John, the European Commissioner for Home Affairs, Ilva Johansson, described 
the capsizing last week as the worst tragedy ever in the Mediterranean. So talk to us about what happened with this boat, because from what I understand, it departed from Tobruk in eastern Libya with migrants aboard from Pakistan, Syria, Egypt, and Palestine. Where were they headed when this happened? And what was the plan? So the Greek Coast Guard thinks it left on the 9th of June. It became aware of it on the Tuesday, the 13th of June, which is the controversial day because there is a lot of back and forth between the Greek Coast Guard and Alarm Phone, the hotline, about what happened when on that day. And migrant charity Alarm Phone say they received multiple calls beginning just after 2 p.m. requesting help, saying those on board were in distress, the boat was overcrowded, no longer moving, and the captain had abandoned them. The rough outline of events seems to be that this boat was sailing for Italy with maybe 750 people on board and was doing fine, apparently, according to the Greek Coast Guard. They had been approached by a Maltese flagship and given food and water. That had been accepted. And later on, a merchant ship that was sailing alongside gave them water as well. But at no point, apparently, did this trawler want the Greek Coast Guard to intervene, Mm. says the Greek Coast Guard. Greek officials say they couldn't do more because those on board didn't want them to. Some have questioned why the Greek Coast Guard didn't do more when the boat appeared so obviously dangerous. Alarm phone says that at 5 p.m. Tuesday, it informs the Greek Coast Guard of a refugee-filled trawler, quote-unquote, in distress. Mm. It doesn't specify what distress means. Does distress mean that these people needed food and water? Did it mean that the engine was in trouble? Up until 1.40 a.m., the 14th of June, it had pointedly rejected help, says the Greek Coast Guard. So over the next, I think, few days and weeks, there's going to be an investigation into the parallel narratives and what happened when. Well, as someone who's covered disasters like this before, can you help? me understand why the boat, if true, would refuse help. Because they wanted to be processed in Italy, Hmm. is the theory. And secondly, because if you get processed in Italy, you're much closer to where you're ultimately going, which is usually Germany, in order to be reunited with relatives. I see. Even if they were indeed in distress, the ultimate goal is to get further than Greece. What happened to the boat? Well, um, the only people with an account of what happened are the Greek Coast Guard. They are the only authority that was present. They are not the only people who were present. And their account is that the engines cut out at 1.40 a.m. local time on Wednesday morning. By 2 a.m., though, the boat was seen capsizing and quickly sinking. At 2.04, the captain of the Coast Guard vessel informed operations that the boat had capsized after swerving violently to starboard, then to port, then again to starboard. Oh, wow. 
There is no explanation about what caused this. It's also been now confessed by the government spokesman, Ilias Shekandanis, that the Greek Coast Guard vessel offered a tow, but that that tow was refused. Hmm. Those who survived have allegedly spoken to some media. Um, I can't verify this because I haven't spoken to them myself yet. But some people are saying that there was a tow mm. and that the tow was poorly carried out and that that's what caused the capsizing. I think we have to hear from a large number of people by name. Mm -hmm. I don't know how easy it'll be to get people to speak up eponymously. Yeah. There has to be, I think, a more thorough investigation into um, what the eyewitnesses actually saw. And it may well be that you'll have, in the coming days, conflicting versions from the passengers who survived and the Greek Coast Guard. Um, you know, in May, just a month ago, the New York Times reported on the Greek Coast Guard abandoning migrants at sea, it said. And it included video footage that looks pretty incriminating. The Prime Minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, was defended what he calls tough but fair migration policies and claims a 90% drop in illegal migrants. So what do you think the bigger picture is here of what happened? I think the bigger picture is that Greece has been doing its utmost to prevent refugees from crossing onto Greek territory or into Greek territorial water. Whether it's by legal or illegal means, I won't comment, because the Greek position is that we do not do pushbacks, and the position of a number of NGOs is that the Greeks are performing pushbacks. And the New York Times expose that you refer to includes extensive video of the Greek Coast Guard apparently picking people up on the beach and then taking them out to sea and putting them in a rubber dinghy and leaving them there. But it's important also to remember that Greece is in a legal confrontation with organizations that have either done search and rescue or monitored refugee traffic in the Mediterranean. It's easy to see how they would take a hostile public relations position towards Greece because of this um, legal dispute. But the suspicion does hang over Greece for these actions. And the European Commission has expressed concern, but not condemnation. So where does this leave the families of the victims and the survivors? That's after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the hardest hit countries in the disaster seems to be Pakistan, which has arrested 14 trafficking suspects. On Monday, the country held a national day of mourning for the victims. Many of them were from Kashmir, which is where Raja Sakundar, an uncle of four boys on board, met with other families in a similar situation. 
When children are not found or die, you can understand what a parent goes through. What is happening to us? We have no information whether they are alive or dead. We pray to God, let us see them. John, I know that you recently returned from Kalamara in southern Greece, where survivors of this shipwreck are being held. What was the scene like? They were brought on shore by Coast Guard vessels. We are told by aid workers who were there on Wednesday afternoon early in the day that they were in a state of shock, that some of them collapsed and fainted on the dock, Mm. that they were fed and they may have been sedated, to be honest, although no one is saying that. And no one was there early enough to film them when they arrived. So I tried to imagine what state they were in. Mm. But one aid worker told me that after they had slept and woken up, they started having panic attacks again. You know, they weren't okay. They realized something terrible had happened. But I think that they didn't have the full awareness Mm -hmm. that so many people had drowned. I think that um, as we gain access to them, journalists will be able to find out more about what they remember and what they felt in those terrible hours. Um, You said uh, when you gain access, they're being kept from the press, is that right? Yes, because during the days that we were in Kalamata, they were still in custody of the Coast Guard. By law, if someone is in police or Coast Guard custody, it's, they're not allowed to come into contact. Mm. Remember also that this was a media feeding frenzy. Mm. Many, many networks and newspapers descended on Kalamata in the space of 24 hours. And they had no story. We were very restricted in what we could film and in whom we could talk to. We know for now, nine Egyptian men in their 20s were recently arrested on suspicion that they were smuggling these passengers, and they had their hearing this week. Um, But we've also heard some skepticism from advocates about how much these men could have been involved. The take spoke to a Syrian activist and former refugee in Germany who believes his cousin was on the boat. You've done some reporting on how lucrative the business of trafficking across the Mediterranean really is. What does that tell you about what we can expect to see here when it comes to pinpointing who's involved and who's responsible? I think it's been established that there are significant smuggling rings in Egypt. If you've got um, a boat that is so packed with hundreds of people You have to have some kind of crowd control. It's entirely plausible that a dozen Egyptian hands would be used to, you know, maintain control. But if these nine Egyptians really are part of the operation, they must be the small fry. This boat's cargo, this human cargo, uh, must have been worth in excess of three and a half, four million dollars. We're told that people bought tickets for four and a half, five thousand dollars a piece. Wow. One Syrian man told me he paid five thousand dollars for his wife 
So that kind of business, I don't think is handled by a bunch of, you know, 20 year olds. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how far up the hierarchy the money goes. It could take months for authorities to follow the money if they so wanted. As for Nidal Amari, the Syrian living in Germany, he's still trying to track down his cousin, who he thinks was on board. I wish, I really hope, I still, I, I, uh, I'm someone always positive. I still have hope that may he's alive. I don't know. But this week, he hasn't heard anything new. I contact the inquiry center. They informed me that uh, his name is not on the list of the survivor. Uh, they have taken all the information, documents, and even personal photos. Uh, they will inform me of uh, any new updates. He told us it's hard for their family to hold on to hope. In Syria, they've already put up a funeral tent. His mother is really sick right now, and his family are really so sad. In our culture, if someone died, we, we open a tent. We call it a funeral tent to get the people who is coming to the funeral. So they open it already uh, Saturday, they open it. And he can't stop remembering his own experience, the fear he felt eight years ago when he crossed the Mediterranean himself. I will never forget it in my life. I arrived in Mytilene in Greece, but it was really horrible for us because the motor turned off like five times. We take like four hours because the motor turned off like five times. And I swear, most of who was sitting in the boat are children and women. They was so scared, crying all the time. Nobody come to help us. Nobody tried to do something at all. You really need to make your heart as a stone so you can do this moment. But you have to know, I'm forcing to do this. I'm looking for a safe life. I don't want to die, but I'm forcing to do that. And that's what Nidal thinks was going through his cousin's mind too, he says. He was seeing the same me exactly. He went the safe life. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters and David Enders, with Sonia Bagat, Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Mahotra, Khalid Sultan, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>